make more money. What are we waiting for? Your butt! I don't know. I Me? need water. Get water! Okay. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch, bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if it's naughty to rule your lips, take your shoulders, take your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be there. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. We're ready? I'm ready. Open it. And go. Welcome to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. <laughs> Welcome. I'm Hannah. <laughs> Take two. That was so awkward. I didn't know. You lifted your hand in the air like you're RuPaul. I need, you know, help. Welcome to another episode of Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Welcome. This is a weekly podcast where myself, Deanna, and my co-host, Anna. Mm-hmm. Anna? Did you just say Hannah? I know my own she name. She doesn't even know her own name. <laughs> where we talk about women. Period. End of story. Done summer, and done. Some are cool. Some are less cool. Some, they're all interesting. Mm. Mm-hmm. They better be if we're talking about them we, for an hour. We hope so. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So every week we talk about a different woman. Damn straight. Or women. Or women. Women's. Yeah. Women's. And uh, we're just going to dive into yours this week rather than like preamble Do an intro. With a yeah, thing. because we realize my notes are long. Which can only mean good things. Can only mean good things. So uh, tell so, me about a lady. I will. Um, I had uh, an interesting journey to get to this person this week because I know I've been talking to you about it. Uh, I finally sat down and listened to the podcast Root of Evil, which you and my mom kept mm, talking about mm-hmm. and Alex was talking about. And I was like, what the, what the fuck? Yep. Which, so I'd been thinking about that a lot. And then that made me think about I Am the Night, which then yeah. I started thinking about Patty Jenkins, which then I started thinking about Wonder Woman. So I was thinking about comics. And so I know it's like, oh, a my God. <laughs> so um, my sources this week are um, Barnard.edu, uh, Vogue, Bustle, Makers.com and Ted.com. As in. Whoa. Yep. OK. OK. And hopefully these make sense because I've, I've kind of inserted a lot of uh, random shit from all of these sources uh, to get to my person. I'm okay. excited. And I begin with a quote. <clears throat> There's a difference between being sexualized and being sexy. Uh-oh. A poster <laughs> of Carol Danvers, a.k.a. Captain Marvel, towers over a desk in a tiny office in Midtown Manhattan. Long gone is the barely there black bathing suit she once wore, meant to inspire feverish lust among fanboys. Instead, she's rocking her recently updated costume and hairstyle, now aimed to show off her strength and muscular physique, pretty damn integral to one of the strongest Marvel characters ever. Like any suit Captain America or Thor might don. On her right is an equally large image of Kate Bishop, a.k.a. Hawkeye, decked out with her Hmm. trusty arrows, a purple dress, and matching circle specs ready to take on criminals in 1960s Venice Beach, California. Below them, you'll find Kamala Khan, a.k.a. teenage superhero Ms. Marvel, and Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, no explanation (laughs) needed, appearing as two very feminist throw pillows. 
On the opposite wall sits a foam replica of Ms. Marvel's classic embiggened fist, a poster with a lineup of all of Marvel's female heroes, and an image of Kristen Ritter's complex heroine from Netflix and Marvel's Jessica Jones. The idea of converging these forces and minds in one room is downright intoxicating. The power, the brains, the heart are almost overwhelming. And yet in this room, surrounded by powerful, impossibly strong women, Marvel Comics editor and vice president of content and character development, Sana Amanat, sits calmly, her expression mirroring those of the heroes around her. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. What are you setting up? <laughs> she lights up when she talks about comics. While growing up in New Jersey with three brothers as part of a Pakistani-American household, she fell in love with the upbeat adventures of Archie, X-Men, and Bill Watterson's seminal serial Calvin and Hobbes. Still, she never viewed the medium as a potential career. She studied political science with a focus on the Middle East at Barnard College, uh, with journalism as an end goal but moved from wanting to report on international affairs to falling in love with creating fictional stories at indie imprint Virgin Comics. Quote, taking a single idea and having it manifest into an actual story within a matter of months was incredible, says Aminat, who credits mentor and fellow editor Mackenzie Cadenhead with fostering her talent. Though I did feel very much like an outsider within the comic book world. And yet she knew the secret to being a good editor was to think beyond herself, to think mass. Oh, man. Yeah, it's a lot of converging of mm -hmm. publishing and editing and comic books. And well, and I had no idea where you were going when you started with Root of Evil. And I was like, I... Yeah, right? I Me either. Can't tell. I told you it was weird. Uh, what is it? What did you say her title was at Marvel? She is Marvel Comics Editor and Vice President of Content and Character Development. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yep. Cool. While it is part of her job to preach the gospel of Marvel, there's something infectiously genuine about Aminat and the way she speaks about these characters. I really hope I'm saying her name right. I think so. <laughs> sure, these stories are technically just comics, but that's not how she sees them. And when you look at the history of the company, it's pretty hard not to deny that she's got a point. For her, Marvel characters are the American equivalent of gods and goddesses, a true American mythology. When you yeah. look all the way back to some of the more famous Marvel heroes like Captain America, who was created by Marvel predecessor Timely Comics during World War II and debuted as an all-powerful, all-American hero capable of defeating the Axis powers all by himself, <laughs> that intention is impossibly clear. Mm -hmm. Of course, said mythology was also very male and very white, but Aminat is working on diversifying the pantheon as we speak. That is really fucking cool. Yeah. Each of these characters speak to these really big ideas of what it means to be obviously idealistic, to try to push positivity, to do great things, and to be a good neighbor, she says, pointing out that the fact that these heroes uphold uh, the ideals of the human spirit is the goal. It's what makes Marvel so impactful, she says, but it's also a com uh, concept she's clearly taken to heart in her role at the company. While she'll be the first to tell you how proud she is of the work she's done there, she'll also be the first to point out that she didn't do it alone. Um, she admits to feeling daunted by the industry's male-dominated culture and sometimes sexist online fan communities. Mm. I found God, that yeah. men can be very territorial, she says. <laughs> there can be a snobby mentality of, if you haven't been there from the beginning, you're not authentic. This whole geek girl culture, 
like gamer girl culture, yeah, everything. It's like women are constantly tested. If they say they're nerdy, geek boys prove love it. to ask them to prove it. They never ask that of other boys. No. Right. And as head of, um, or what did you say, VP of uh, character, character development. development, like that also, I assume, just based on the name, must come with a lot of like updating characters that those men are very used to seeing in one way. Yeah. And so, yeah, being being a woman doing the updating, I assume, is Oh, there's a not lot okay. Of, there's a lot of backlash she has received and all. Like there, some of the more hilarious um, articles I found, editorials that I found, were people basically say like accusing her of being a racist because she like made a joke with uh, like Kumail Nanjiani said something uh, on Twitter one time about. Like, no, fuck diversity. Everybody should be brown from here on out. And she goes, ha ha, yes, one, one day we will all be brown. Brown's taking over the world. And people are like, she's a racist. See? My and it's God. like, oh, my Lord. Or the fact that she like made a comment about things Republicans hate. And it's like, oh, so she talks about, quote, unquote, making comics for everybody. Well, I didn't realize that Republicans weren't people. And it's like, oh, for fuck's sake. White white people really love to make it seem like racism against white people is a huge problem. Or, and um, we or need a, a prejudice against yeah. conservatives. Right. I that's Yeah, that's a conversation for another day. Yeah, but it's something she experiences all the time. Yeah. Uh, she was approached by an executive at Marvel in 2009 and discovered that her status as an outsider could be a positive thing. Quote, I remember my current boss saying, look, you have something different to offer than the regular fanboy who has read comics since he was a kid. You have a different voice and we need your voice in order to change Marvel. Damn. Amazing that they saw that. Yeah. That they approached her. Yeah. Specifically because she was a fangirl from a different background. Mm-hmm. And a um, fangirl, not a fanboy. Right. I mean, Jesus. One of her big challenges uh, has been to get women more invested in the comic book industry. Mm -hmm. um, quote, I heard over and over that women didn't feel comfortable at conventions or in comic book shops. Yeah. Uh, during her tenure, Marvel has developed a female Thor, a black Captain America, an Afro-Latino Spider-Man, a black female Iron Man, Ironheart, mm -hmm. and a Korean-American Hulk. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. and Amadeus Cho, I think is his name. Those... those uh variations were all part of that change that happened what a couple years ago where there was like that universe shift or something Is, am I do I have that right where they all it's all sort of taking place in a in a new timeline a new dimension maybe I don't I'm, know if that's true of all the cases I think they okay. all kind of simultaneously exist because that was what like, there's different like that was where Miles Morales came from I thought also but maybe i don't know all that much about comics so i'm probably well being i know crazy. that in many cases for these like female thor mm -hmm. takes over the mantle from thor when he no longer becomes worthy to wield the hammer right okay okay uh i don't know much more other than that i've like read i have this wonderful wonderful book that is it's um uh like powers of a girl or something it's a, a whole 
book of all the female superheroes in oh. the Marvel universe. And I was reading them like one by one and learning about uh, female Thor, who is Jane Foster, which is why right. Natalie Portman is going to be to the new Thor. Yeah. Yeah. It's it is Jane. Yeah. And it's like when she gets breast cancer. Oh, I know she like then becomes she's a doctor now and she like then becomes worthy of wielding the hammer and takes over the mantle. And when she is Thor, like she doesn't have cancer. But then when she like isn't, I don't know. It's weird. Whoa. Um, but it's cool. But yeah. So and then with like uh, Ironheart, I think that she, one of her mentors is Iron Man. So it's not like they're the same character, but in a different universe right. necessarily. Right. I don't know. I know Into the Spider-Verse is like a different thing. But Peter Parker existed. Yeah. Already. Right. In Miles Morales' universe. He just died. Right. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Warning for Into yeah, the Spider-Verse. Yeah. But it's been out a long time. But anyway. Um, so it's also yeah. it's just new people. Because that happens all the time. Where new people will pick up a mantle for a superhero when they retire or they die. Or something yeah. like that. But now they're diversifying the people who pick up that mantle. Okay, cool. Et cetera. Which I think is really smart because you bring people into fandoms that already exist, that are already large, that already have a wide readership. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you already have the resources to make that happen. And you teach fandom. empathy. Right. Very that, That's the thing that's important to me is that, you know, in talking to some of my white, straight male friends, mm-hmm. They, when they get frustrated sometimes with diversification of characters and heroes in general, it's because they were never taught how to empathize with characters that didn't look like them because the characters right. always looked like them. They feel like something's being taken from them rather than seeing it as an opportunity to like a new version of that character. Right. Whereas, like, Myself, I can't, I obviously don't speak for all women, but like uh, women frequently identify with male protagonists in books. Yeah. We've uh, always had to. And yeah, and people of color identify with white people and yep. it, and you know, vice versa. So I yeah. have found myself able to identify with a character even though he or she doesn't look like me. Yeah. Um, Although representation is also very important, too, because I get excited about it when a character does look like me. Although redheads are very (laughs) overrepresented, I think, in media. (laughs) Fantasy, sci-fi, and superheroes. Lots of redheads. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, Yep. People love their redheads. Yep. Yep. (laughs) But anyway, so back to this. Yes. Sorry. Tangent. (laughs) No, I thought that was great. It's it's important. It's why I want to talk about her. Um, So anyway... uh, Sana's characters that she has brought to the fore may have supernatural powers, but their lives are informed by real world issues, whether politics, race relations, sexism, or issues of class. Uh, Their stories are about more than fending off bad guys. Take the case of Kamala Khan, AKA Ms. Marvel, her most personal creation. So she co-created this character and it's, she's her most personal one. So Kamala is a Pakistani American Muslim teen from Jersey city who adopts the name Ms. Marvel when she discovers that she has shape-shifting powers. Throughout the series, she grapples with her identity as a Muslim in the, and as a child of immigrants. First, she transforms herself into a blonde with white skin and a revealing leotard in tribute to her heroine, Carol Danvers, Aww. who was previously Miss Marvel, 
but Kamala quickly realizes she can keep the title while maintaining her own appearance and wearing a more practical uniform of a tunic and long sleeve red undersuit. It's actually um, like a burkini Mm -hmm. that her mom gives to her. She doesn't wear hijab or anything, Kamala, but it's just like a uh, swimsuit her mom gives her. So she goes around and she like does it up. She puts puts a lightning bolt on it, but that's what it is. Her costume is her swimsuit. That is the sweetest fucking thing. But the swimsuit is more practical than like a little leotard. Oh my God. Um, So that's, uh, uh, Sana Amanat grew up in Jersey City obviously, is the child of immigrants. Yep. And um, in talking about, you know, their similarity, she says she lives in Jersey City. She looks across the river and she sees these powerful, beautiful superheroes who are kicking ass and looking great doing it. She wants to be just like them and thinks that's that is what being powerful is. It's this individual who looks nothing like her. It's important we find a way to cultivate our own strength and formulate that identity on our own terms. The story of Kamala Khan is very much about that. Love. Um, then, so she did a TED talk that I have like really oh. distilled down. Um, did you watch it? Yep. Okay, cool. And I'd be curious. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, it's, it's for TED teen. So it's like a little bit. Oh, more easily accessible. So it was, spe- it was more for teenagers and young people. Okay. Well then I really should watch that since so, I'm in teen publishing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. So, um, she touches on in her TED talk. Like the importance, obviously, of representation in media. Yeah. She says, quote, so this is just from verbatim her. Cool. When we, were, when we are told by others constantly and incessantly who we are, when we allow others to define us, whether it's the media, our parents, our friends, we begin to accept a standard of self that's not of our own choosing. I think mm. that's significant for everybody regardless. But yeah. we become a splintered version of the person we're destined to be. Oh. I remember in junior high school, it was actually right after the first World Trade Center bombing. It was in 95. Yeah. Um, And it was a very confusing time for me for a bunch of reasons, but in particular because it was the first time my religion was made synonymous with violence in such a public way. I walked into school the next morning and a classmate who I'd never actually talked to before tapped me on the shoulder and he said, hey, tell your people to stop attacking us. Jesus Christ. I was confused, hurt, stunned. Us? I thought I was us. I certainly wasn't them, was I? I swung from self-defense to self-doubt, pride to shame. Who was Mm. I? What side was I on? Where did I fit in? I had no idea. For years, I constantly measured myself against images that looked nothing like me. For a long time, I didn't see myself on TV, in the classroom, or in magazines. And then suddenly, uh, my face was everywhere, but had a big red X painted over it. So it was only negative stereotypes. And so she goes on and says, there's something called a stereotype threat. And what it says is that individuals of a particular group internalize and react to the negative stereotypes associated with themselves. So because I was afraid of everybody thinking all those bad things that people say about me are true, sometimes I didn't act to the best of my abilities. I underperformed. You act against your true nature because you're constantly trying to live up to other people's expectations or deny their assumptions, and you mask who you truly are. Right. On the flip side, it's funny because I was talking about this this morning. It's important. There's also (laughs) something called a mirror neuron theory. Oh, yeah. You did mention that. I was like, I don't know what you're saying. I only know about it because of this. Uh, What it means 
is that your brain neurons can react in the same way as another person's, whether or not you're the one doing the same action as them. So, for example, if you're watching a person eat a really delicious meal, your brain will react in the same way as if you were eating that delicious meal yourself. That's why watching the Food Network can be so wonderful. Yep. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it also applies to stories, right? Okay. Um, So... Imagine if what we saw in the media reflected a positive portrayal of a group that we belonged to. How would our brains react? How would our perceptions change? It's the secret of the success of The Cosby Show for all the problems Bill Cosby has. Right. (laughs) But it's a show that focused on the comedic trials and tribulations of a successful and lovable family that just happened to be black. Yeah. And it took away those limiting qualifiers of race and helped to redefine what it meant just to be an American family. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all through the power of telling a story. Right. So what the mirror neuron theory teaches is that it's human nature to follow the actions of the masses. We repeat and or believe what people tell us to and others and about ourselves. So why not tell stories that are empowering and aspirational and challenge us to be better? That's exactly what superhero stories do. The history of comics is about the misfit, the unlikely hero, the ability to create greatness where there was once doubt. For 75 years, Marvel has been telling the tale of the outcast behind the mask. It's through his flaws and desires that we connect with the heart of the character so that when he emerges as a hero, we have a real reason to champion him because we understand those struggles too. We also want to move past them. Heroes make a choice to fight injustice, to protect the innocent, to put the balance back on the side of good, no matter how much they sacrifice. They're willing to die for it because they've chosen that as who they are, and they will defend it no matter what. So when I, as a little girl, sat wrapped to attention watching the X-Men all those years ago on her (laughs) television screen, it wasn't just because they took her on an astonishing adventure. It was because they told her it was okay to be different. In fact, you had to fight for it because we all want to be heroes, don't we? Oh, <laughs> God damn. So the series Miss Marvel, which she created with editor Stephen Wacker, writer G. Willow Wilson and artist Adrian Alfona, is now at least in its seventh printing. Uh, and when it spent several weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, it won the Hugo Award and one of and that's uh, sorry. The Hugo Award is one of science fiction and fantasy's most prestigious prizes. Yes. Um, Literary. I, I've read generally, but not that series totally. and it's amazing yeah and i know you love it i I've love miss marvel meaning to since you started reading it because you love it <laughs> wonderful i love her i also assume that the storytelling is just really good it seems like a really well written yeah um series it is um with like very complicated um characters um lots of representation like there's a a love interest who is very curvy mm-hmm. <laughs> and like mm-hmm. it's never mentioned yeah um for one of the characters uh there's one character who starts off like seeming like a bitch and like one of the popular blonde blah 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 girls and then you realize she's super unhappy because she's closeted and is afraid of that and then there's the curvy girl character has lesbian moms and then like uh Kamala Khan's older brother who is very religious um, he chooses to uh, court like a dark-skinned black Muslim woman, which is really cool because she and she comes just from a black American family. Yeah, like they're not even an immigrant family, 
and they're not even I don't even think a Muslim family she just converted and it's just it's all really cool to see like the different types of representation of being American her best friend is Italian American and anyway I I love Miss Marvel so much (laughs) it's just much more reflective of the real world yes for a lot of and us. none of it feels shoehorned in mm-hmm. you know much even though some butthurt boys would say so it all felt very normal <laughs> and natural to me yeah the idea of building and reclaiming strength has been a focal point for marvel's female superheroes during sana Amanat's tenure she and her team have ditched the male gaze driven approach shaping the presentation of marvel's women to reflect their inner power I just wanted to say that I I have noticed this a lot, even in, I mean, maybe I don't know what her involvement in like Spider-Man has been, but like the recent, the most recent Spider-Man live action, like Zendaya's character, Mary Jane, is so unlike, you know, the traditional Mary Jane. I I, I don't know that she has any power over the movie stuff. Okay. But, um, I mean... That was going to be my question, was, like, where where her influence reaches. She helped develop Miles Morales. Okay. But, obviously, the Spider-Man is still a Peter Parker right. story. But I think that you can see, like, even if she doesn't have a hand in the the entertainment side. Well, the culture is shifting. The culture is shifting. Mm-hmm. And, and clearly, she has done a lot to make sure that that's happening in Marvel properties. Right. So that it can happen in And the I rest. think it's the, the cultural shift is also proving a point to um, the pure capitalism and greed of it all is that for so long, people wouldn't create a female driven superhero story <laughs> or or a person of yeah. color or what have you. It because won't they money. were saying that it won't sell, that yeah. nobody would buy it. But they're doing extremely well. Right. Like Black Panther was it's one of the highest grossing Marvel movies ever. Yeah. For the sing especially for the singular hero movies, yep. not the like conglomeration movies where they're all together. Right. Um Yeah. So that yeah. It's interesting. So um she started off um when she started in 09 working on Captain Marvel. So she started with Carol Danvers, um, and they gave her a wardrobe makeover. It was one of the first things she went from wearing that black leotard yeah. um, and that thigh-high boots. <laughs> um, so this is what she says. She says, one of the things that made Carol not relatable was that they put her in a bathing suit, thigh-high boots, and a sash. And they thought, okay, yeah, this is what a superhero would look like. It's not a very practical outfit for someone who's going to be taking on the biggest villains in the universe. The changes have done more than modernize Marvel's aesthetics. They've helped to foster a space where women feel welcomed at the table. It was actually a great sign of change within the comic book industry because women started showing up to Marvel events, Aminat says. For the first (laughs) time, they had superheroes that were obviously some of the most powerful within the universe, but also ones that were relatable. Yeah, and could be cosplayed by more women, I assume. Yeah, because it's not just like Red Sonja. Who's that Viking hero who yeah. walks around in a chainmail bikini? Right, and there I, there are plenty of cosplaying women who look amazing, look doing amazing, that. and can do that. But there are so many women who do not want to have to only wear that kind of costume. It's not even about wanting to wear it; it's about like the type of judgment you receive. Exactly. Yeah. By these, you know, nerdy 
boys who are like, you're not hot enough to wear that. It's like, fuck you. Right. I'm not wearing it for you. I'm wearing it for me. Right. Um, so Sana will be one of the first people to tell you that the rumors are true. And that as exhausting as it is to write the sentence, it isn't always easy being a woman in the comic book industry. Mm-hmm. It may have started out more equal, but a recent study found that men outnumbered women nine to one at major comics publishing houses Ugh. and that 79% of the people working on comics there were white. Wow. If you spoke to her when she left college, you would never know that this world of capes, stretching limbs and super strength was where she'd end up. Obviously, because she thought she would be a journalist yeah. or maybe even a lawyer. And when she found her way to the comic book world, she was met with what some might call resistance (laughs) and what fellow fangirls might call an average Tuesday on Twitter. Mm. So much so that she almost quit comics altogether. Quote, a lot of people didn't really value my skill set because of the fact that I didn't grow up reading comics the way they did. I didn't have long boxes full of comics. My brothers did. And so there was this sense of these rules I had to follow to be able to be a fangirl. And that made me feel a little bit like I wasn't allowed in the club. And it was hard. This is while I was working in the industry. And it made me feel like, oh, well, maybe I'm not very good at my job. And maybe I shouldn't do this. God damn. But like so many temporarily disheartened superheroes, she emerged from that place of self-doubt, ready to change the very space that made her feel unworthy. And though she's more than earned her spot in the comic book world, not just because she really paid her dues at her first comics job by walking around a convention in a shirt that said Virgin Comics. (laughs) Quote, it was not a good thing to be wearing at a Comic-Con when you're one of the few women there. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. She says with a chuckle. She still faces some of that distrust, often from a vocal faction of Marvel readers. She sees daily vociferous criticism from these fans on Twitter and anywhere else they can find her, most often because she works to make Marvel an even more inclusive brand for women and for people of color. A quick YouTube search will turn up vicious attacks on her work with video titles like, and this is real, Marvel Mm -hmm. Rising number one, Sana Aminat makes gender war propaganda to create future generations of cat ladies. What? That's fully serious. Jesus Christ. Yep. Yep. Oh, God. There's even a video in which one vlogger claims that Sana Aminat and the head of Lucasfilm, Kathleen Kennedy, who was George Lucas's right-hand woman throughout the production of all original Star Wars films and the Indiana Jones trilogy, are, quote, diversity hires who know nothing about the fandom, were installed by Marvel and Lucasfilm's parent company, Disney, to push feminist anti-fan agendas, fan agendas. Should be noted that easily confirmable facts are not strong with any of these videos. I was going to say, it's amazing. I assume that these videos must be at least 10 minutes long, if not more, mm-hmm. because most of these dudes are fucking ranters. But, like, they actually think about this shit. Like, they think long and hard about what they're going to say and how they're going to say it. That it's some sort of And they don't even bother to go look this shit up. They just sit there and spin themselves into a tizzy about it. Yeah. And and then they've got all these viewers who get into a tizzy about this. And they go, this. yeah, yeah, you're right. This guy says that uh-huh. they're just diversity hires. <laughs> yeah, none of it is fucking true. Oh, man. Yeah. And that's apparently only the mild stuff. Mm. Still, she says, despite some of her detractors' best efforts, she's doing just fine. <laughs> yeah. Quote, The interesting thing is growing up Muslim and brown in America has at least steeled me up for a lot of this. Yeah. From a very young age, I'm used to people saying terrible things about Muslims. I've also seen some really terrible things done to Muslims in my community. I still Mm. see terrible things done to them. And I understand that there's injustice happening still every single day. 
She's resolute. The noise isn't going to stop her from doing what she came to uh, to Marvel to do. People making fun of me or not liking me is literally the least of my problems. It just doesn't really affect my day-to-day life. It's unfortunate. At the end of the day, me embracing my identity, me embracing my brownness, doesn't mean I'm denying their identity. It's about me, and it's the story I want to tell. Everyone should have the right to tell their own story, and that's really what I'm here for. I'm here to try to tell my story and hopefully champion other people who haven't had the opportunity to do so either. So that's what I'm focused on. I'm focused on the people who show up at Comic-Cons wearing homemade Miss Marvel costumes that they made with their parents. See? Every single one of us who works on a Marvel character understands that there's a good chance that there's going to be a second grade student picking up this comic for the first time and interacting with these characters. What are we saying to them? How are we talking to them? How are we educating them? And how are we inspiring them? I do believe stories in the media are really the first line of education that a lot of people get. And so with stories like this, we have to be really mindful of how we approach them. Before I leave her, this the interviewer, before I leave her fortress of feminist strength and power, she tells me a story (laughs) about a friend whose son faced a bully at school. When Amanat's friend asked her son, did you make sure you said that that's not nice and walk away? His response wasn't what she expected. He said, no. What I did was I changed into Miss Marvel and I showed him how powerful I was and he ran away. (laughs) She recounts the story with a smile stretched across her face. And when this boy's mom further inquired about why he chose a woman and not the Hulk or something, his reasoning was simple. I love Miss Marvel. I love her stretchy powers. I love her stretchy powers. First of all. Oh, my God. It's the most. This is a quote. First of all, it's the most gender specific character because it has the name Miss in it. But, like, he looked at her like she was just a hero with cool powers more than anything else, says Aminat. Her grin has now reached entirely across her face. Or, embiggened, if you will, because that's what Miss Marvel calls it when she gets bigger. <laughs> she can just shapeshift. She embiggens. Oh. We want to make sure that we would tell people that this isn't just for girls. This isn't just for boys. It's for whoever. And as we expand our audience, we want to bring in different creators. How about a disabled superhero? One who's trans. What's that like? But we need the right voices and creators. Our gates are open, but we need to do it right. She also happened to, in 2016, attend a Women's History Month celebration at the White House where she met President Obama Uh, and gave him a copy of Ms. Marvel number uh, one. And during the ceremony, Obama said, quote, Miss Marvel may be her comic book creation, but I think for a lot of young boys and girls, Sana is a real superhero. Oh, my God. I'm going to fucking cry. And she's a millennial. (laughs) Shut up. She was born in 82, which is like right at the cusp. Yep. She's right on the cusp of Gen X and millennials. Yep. Wow, man. So she's young. She's from (laughs) this area. Yeah. The tri-state area. Yep. Urban sprawl. Yep. And she and she is a champion for diversifying and including everyone in the world of superheroes. And I think that's really fucking cool. Oh, that is so satisfying Mm -hmm. because I mean, you and I just say this a lot. We say representation matters like seeing yourself or someone who comes from a similar place or you know, deals with a similar situation to you, 
matters. It, it, it tells you that you're not alone, but also that you are valid and you can be powerful. Yes. And I mean, the very first person that I did on this podcast, wasn't that Janice Voss? No, Stephanie St. Clair. Oh, Stephanie St. Clair. Voss was your second. Janice person. Voss was my second, and and she was, she was somebody who saw girls in space in her favorite book, and it inspired her to go to space, and that, I, for some reason, has stuck with me throughout this entire podcast because we keep seeing more and more examples of people who are following that that lead and creating representation that they did not have yeah you know and I feel like that's kind of part of what we're trying to do with this show is represent people or at the very least tell stories that people don't know exist so that they can see that they're represented are you a good witch or a bad bitch let us know by becoming a patron on, on our, our Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> oh, no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively oh, yeah. for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. Obviously, I love Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. And she's really fucking cool. But I am so obsessed with Ms. Marvel. Yeah, you've always liked her more, at least I've in read how more you... of her comics, that's yeah. why. Yeah. But for some reason, even though she looks nothing like me and we have completely different upbringings and backgrounds, yeah. I love her. I love her. Yep. She's wonderful. She's a geek. That's the that's the point is that she's nerdy. She's obsessed with superheroes. And then she becomes one and is like, oh, shit, what do I do? I'm so <laughs> awkward and weird. Like, do I, I'm going to go like this. And she's still figuring out how to do it and doesn't know how to be the best version of herself yet. But she's trying. Right. And I find that so compelling. And relatable. Yes. Like, that's super easy to relate to. Is there more? Or did you that's get through? It. You got through all of that. Yeah. You did yeah. so good. Oh, Miss Marvel. I love her. See, the, and she also wears uh, uh, bracelets that belong to her mother. Aww. And her mom brought them over from Pakistan. Oh. And, and I just, I love her so much. She just has a lot of um, relatable character traits. And she, she has a lot of chutzpah. And, and yeah, <laughs> which I would know if I read, I'm sure. But <laughs> now, uh, now you just have to bring all of your copies over and. Yeah. So I can borrow them. And there's a new series that just started up that uh, other writers are kind of taking over. And it's called The, the Magnificent Miss Marvel. And it's like she's in, in space for the See, first time. And that tells you people are reading it. Oh, yeah. No, it's they one love of the most it. popular series in recent memory. So fuck you, sad, sad fanboys. I don't want to read that. <laughs> like, shut up. Oh, cool. she uh, sounds like 
somebody I would like. Like if to I ran know. into her on the street, <laughs> I'd be like, "Can we get a drink?" I mean, for real. Tell me your secrets. Teach me how to monetize my passions the way you did yours. And it wasn't even her initial thing, but that she she. What's funny is that it's just like this this level of she felt like she wasn't experienced or knowledgeable enough about comics when she literally watched X-Men every week. Right. She was obsessed with X-Men as a kid. Obsessed. Yeah. We, we're, How we're does told, that? We're told one very specific kind of story. Like, you're only a fan if... You uh, fulfill all XYZ requirement. Yeah. If you've done all of these things that all of these other fanboys have been doing forever. That's the only way you get to call yourself a fan as or a knowledgeable woman. as a woman as a woman because yeah. a man can jump in and say he's a fan and every other boy just assumes that he's done the same thing and that's not necessarily true right sometimes it is but not always anyway especially Ugh. as a, a relatively recent comic book convert nerd thanks alex but yeah no there's a lot but he also has always read all these female he's the one re- he recommended miss marvel to me he was like you would love it well, Alex and he was is not a gem. Wrong. Yeah. But so. he loves it, too. Yeah. Because he knows what's up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, thank you for that. You're welcome. She's awesome. Right. I'm going to have to look more into what she's doing. And also, I look forward to seeing all the other cool shit she does. I mean, she's young. She's got a long career ahead of her. If she so chooses, yeah. If, if she so chooses, yeah. And I would like to see, because... Uh, um, uh, what's, his, what's the name of the guy who's in charge of um, Marvel Studios? Kevin Feig? Feige? 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 I don't know how to pronounce his fucking name. But he said that once they introduced Captain Marvel, they had the notion of sometime incorporating Ms. Marvel, which is why it's so cool that they set Captain Marvel, the movie, in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So now in modern day, you can have a teenage girl who grew up idolizing her because she's been around for yeah, a while. That was very smart. Yeah. I like that. I'll be curious to see where that starts to come into play. I in would love next to see an phase. on-screen representation of Kamala Khan. She's so cool. I'll bet you it's in the I works. I can't stop talking about how cool she is. No, there was actually like a series of tweets like... Um, Riz Ahmed, Ugh. he tweeted, he was like, okay, so when are Kumail Nanjiani, Mindy Kaling, and I all going to team up and write a script? And then there was a whole conversation, like Twitter kind of went into an uproar because Twitter always goes into an uproar. Yes. Because they were like, <laughs> how dare you take the opportunity away from more women of color to write this script? And it's like, oh my oh, fucking God, God, can we? And Sana Aminat jumped in and was like, actually, I would be totally fine if those three wanted to write a script. Come talk to me, please. Lo- I don't care. As long as they're able to write a story with sensitivity and and respect and knowledge, right. then that's what I care about. That's all anyone cares about at the end of the fucking day. Yep. Like when you go to see a movie. Yep. That's what you want. Right. Regardless. Right. Oy, oy, oy. Anyway. Well, thank you. Let's move on to some on this day. Tell me about your on this day. There's really not many because it was all fucking World War II. Battles. And, yeah, oh, battles. God. And like, that's fine. And that's cool history. But whatever. This is a weird, (laughs) this is more niche podcast. So August 21st, Mm -hmm. 1791, a voodoo ceremony led by Duddy Bookman turns into a violent slave rebellion beginning the Haitian Revolution. Holy fucking what? Right? I didn't know the Haitian Revolution started with a voodoo ceremony. That's cool. 
Uh, yeah, we're going to have to do some more research into that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, August 21st, 1911, the Mona Lisa is stolen by Vincenzo Perugia, an employee of the Louvre. Oh, my God. There is a really good episode of Drunk History about that. Really? Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, well, I finally watched that uh, Cleopatra's sister one that you sent yes. me. It's so good. I love Drunk History. It's so good. Ugh. And it just gets better. It I loved the, better. when it was still a web series. I loved it. I know. And, yeah. Anyway. I know. Anyway. anyway. Uh, August 21st, 1961. American country music singer Patsy Cline returns to record producer Owen Bradley's studio in Nashville, Tennessee to record her vocals to Willie Nelson's Crazy, which would become her signature song. Oh, Patsy, Patsy. Mm-hmm. Crazy. <laughs> Sing it. Uh, also 1961, August 21st, Motown releases what would be its first number one hit in America, Please Mr. Postman by the Marvelettes. Which oh. is funny because fucking Sam Jackson sings it at the end of Captain Marvel. Yes, he does. Because they're the Marvelettes. That's so funny. And she's like, Marvel. Marvel. So I, I was like, weird. That is very, very coincidental. The stars aligned for this episode. Yes, they did. And uh, one birthday, which you will not give two shits about. <laughs> August 21st, 1930, Princess Margaret, Countess of Snowden, Queen Elizabeth's only sibling and sister, who will, by the way, did you see the teaser for the next season of The Crown with Olivia Coleman? Of course I did not. <sighs> and they released a photo. Helena Bonham Carter is taking over playing Princess Margaret, which is going to be wet. Like, Tobias Menzies, who I fucking love. Olivia Coleman, yeah. who I fucking love. Helena Bonham Carter, never would have pictured her for that role, but I'm, she can do almost anything. Well, so. yes, she's magic. Uh, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> Princess Margaret, happy birthday, even though you're dead. Oh, my God. Happy birthday, even though you're dead. She died in 2002. And that's it for on this day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so why don't you tell me what you're excited about? Well, it's funny that you chose a superhero person because... Um, you and I watched The Boys, the pilot for The Boys last night. We did. And that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited about watching the rest of that because it's awesome. It's yeah, such I really a, enjoyed the first episode. I can't wait to watch more. Yeah. And for, for anybody who isn't sure what that show is, it's on Amazon Prime, I think. Yeah. And it's a show basically about um, superheroes who are not really superheroes and the anti-heroes. Yeah, well, it's about kind of. it's about the corruption that comes with commodification of people. Yes. So superheroing is a business, and there's a corporation, and and they're shitty people. And yeah, and they're they are incentivized to hide their shittiness, but they don't aren't incentivized to not be shitty. Yeah. And so then you yep. know you have your everyday hero who is motivated to take them down and we'll see where it goes yeah and dennis quaid's son is in it jack jack who i just call baby quaid because i can't ever remember that he's named jack and carl urban who's wonderful who's wonderful and who was the other chase crawford's in it yeah isn't he from gossip Gossip girl Girl. yeah uh and a bunch of other cool people Yep. It's really well acted and written, and yep. I'm just excited. Yep. So that's it. Cool. And I think 
that means we're, we're done. done. <gasps> and I think it's a pretty uh, relatively well-timed episode. Right? Yeah. I think we did okay. We, we kept, did, it, did kept okay. it pretty short. Yeah, yeah, I think we were all right. So, on that note, <laughs> check us out on social media. Um, feel Say free. Hi. Yeah, say hi. Feel free to email us at gwbbpodcast.com. We have a Patreon if you want to support us financially and be our sugar parents. <laughs> our sugar parents. It just helps us uh, pay for hosting and, you know, the occasional can of wine probably here and there. Uh, otherwise, <laughs> I think that's it. Yep. Peace out, witches. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. (laughs) Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it. If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. <laughs> Become a patron and help us, you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. (laughs) Our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moonbounce. Moonbounce.